Uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into the sermon today. Uh, we'll be um, continuing our, our sermon series on pillars of the local church. And uh, this morning we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12, so you can go ahead and, uh, and go there. We'll, we'll be talking throughout the sermon, kind of all throughout uh, chapters 12 through 14, um, just kind of jumping around. But we're not going to read all of that. Uh, we're just going to read uh, two parts of uh, chapter 12. And so go ahead and turn there. Um, and uh, while you do, um, uh, I, I really think um, this is going to be a really um, good topic for this morning. Um, we're going to be talking about the gifts of the Spirit, a commitment to the gifts of the Spirit. Um, the reason it's a good topic is because it's something we all wonder about at some point in our Christian life. Uh, what are the gifts of the Spirit? What do I do with them? Uh, well, we're going to be getting into that uh, this morning. And uh, I hope that this sermon will be an encouragement to you um, and at the same time a challenge to you um, in uh, your Christian walk. And, um, and I think if we all take uh, the challenge that uh, I'm going to present this morning, um, then we'll, we're going to see awesome things done um, if we keep this as a pillar of our church. Uh, so... Um, uh, I'm going to go ahead and read uh, the passage. We're going to read uh, verses 1 through 11 and then 27 through 31. Um, and that's in 1 Corinthians 12. If you don't have your Bible uh, on your phone or a physical copy, we're going to have the words up on the screen for you. So starting in verse 1, Paul says to the church of Corinth, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans... You used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are different gifts but the same Spirit. There are different ministries but the same Lord. And there are different activities but the same God produces each gift in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. And then we're going to skip to verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in other tongues? Do all interpret? But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. So, this is, uh, this is a fun topic, right? It's all the things that we wonder about. What do these mean? What do we do with them? And I'll, I wanted to share a quick story uh, before we really get into the content. Um, a, a couple of days ago, um, I was um, we had done a trip uh, to Tennessee recently, and uh, on the way back, we were listening to a band called King's Kaleidoscope in the, in the car. They have a song called Dust, 
and it was just stuck in my head. And so I was walking around the house singing it. And um, Ezekiel, every once in a while, if he hears you singing a song, he'll say, what's that song? And so I said, oh, it's called Dust by King by a band, King's Kaleidoscope. I was like, you want to listen to it? And he was like, sure. And so I opened it up on my phone and played it. And there's a line that says, um, uh, I'm not home till heaven's open. Uh, and so Ezekiel said, what does heaven's open mean? And so we had this like really cute little conversation about what heaven means, what what it means to look forward to heaven, what it's going to be, you know, we're going to be with God forever. And right now, you know, we're on earth and God is in heaven, but one day they're, they're going to come together and we'll be with God forever and all this stuff. And he was interested. And uh, we had just left my, my family's house in Georgia after our Tennessee trip. And um, uh, he calls, uh, he calls um, my mom Hopi and my uh, dad Peepaw. So he says, are Hopi and Peepaw going to be there? And I was like, yes, buddy, Hopi and Peepaw are going to be there. Everybody, everybody, you know, our family is going to be there. Um, and he said, are they going to give me things? <laughs> because obviously we're on vacation with my family. My mom, you know, wants to buy him souvenirs and stuff. And uh, that's what he was focused on. Are they going to give me things? And I was like, you know what, buddy, I bet they will give you things. You know, you're, you're not going to want anything because God will be there and you'll be enjoying uh, God with everyone. I was like, but I bet we'll give lots of gifts in heaven. I bet, you know, you'll, you'll give them things. They'll give you things. And it just got me thinking, uh, you know, that just childlike attitude about gifts. Gifts are just such amazing things. Um, and the thing about him with gifts is if you give him a gift, he doesn't just want to keep it to himself. He says, you give it to him, and then he says, can you play with it with me? Um, He wants to share it with you. He wants to enjoy it with you. Um, And I want us to keep that in mind today, that just childlike attitude about gifts as we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, because that's the attitude we should have about these gifts. We want them. Uh, We we desire to, to be blessed with these gifts that the Spirit gives us. And as we do, they're not just for us to hold to ourselves. They're for the building up of the church. And that's why these are a pillar of the local church. So let's get into it. I'm going to talk about this in three sections. I'm going to talk about the meaning of the gifts, the use of the gifts, and then the spirit of the gifts. And so let's jump right in. Uh, with the main question we should be asking, which is, what are the gifts for? Um, I think here in the first few verses of chapter 12, we see um, uh, two major reasons why we have the gifts of the Spirit. Um, There's two main purposes behind them. The first one, um, if you notice in in verse uh, 3, he says, "Jesus, no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So what is he saying there? He's saying, for one, no one can truly be a Christian without the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, That's one thing he's saying. But he's also saying that this proclamation, Jesus is Lord, uh, the sense that you get when you study the language here um, is not just someone saying something and it's like an intellectual assent. It's a full belief. You're declaring Jesus is Lord. And so not just with word, but with deed, with your life. Um, And so I think the first thing that we can see right here is that the gifts of the Spirit are meant to magnify Jesus as Lord and subsequently to be Christ-like 
in your life, right? Not just to say Jesus is Lord, but to live in a way that shows Jesus is Lord. And so that's the first main thing that we can see. And uh, I want to point out, uh, Jesus himself kind of uh, made this point. Um, when John the Baptist, uh, his followers had gone back to John and they were telling him about um, Jesus and what he was doing. And John was in prison and having a little bit of doubt. And John sent his disciples back to ask Jesus if he was truly the one they had been waiting for. And in Luke 7, starting in 20 through 23, it says, When the men reached him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, afflictions, and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many blind people. And he replied to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. So what is Jesus saying? They say, are you truly the one we're waiting for? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that God has sent to save us? And Jesus says, go tell them what you've seen me do. It shows that I'm the one. The, the gifts that the Spirit gives us the main purpose is to magnify Jesus as Lord. And so I want us to keep that in mind as we go through all this. And the second one, um, we can see, uh, he says, when he's talking about there's different gifts, but he says in uh, verse 7, he says, a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. Um, another way you can dis, uh, you can translate that is for a common advantage. It's not just like the common good being like everyone's happy with each other. It's like a common advantage. It's giving everyone as a whole an advantage by having these. And so that's the second main purpose of the gifts, to serve a common advantage. And this is in contrast to to serve self-fulfillment or self-gratification, or the status of one person. And I think that's a very important point in today's world because how many times do we see maybe someone on television or someone well-known that seems to be using gifts to build up their own status? And I think that's important to point out. The gifts are very clearly, he says, they're for the common good. They're for the building up of the church. They're not to fulfill your self-fulfillment. They're not for self-gratification. They're not for building up the status of an individual. They're for the common advantage of the church. Um, and so when you go on in verse 12 in the part we skipped, he, you know, that's the passage where he says, you know, we need the whole body. You know, the foot can't say to the eye, like, I don't need you. And the eye can't say to the foot, I don't need you. You know, where would your touch be? Where would your sight be? Where would your smell be if you didn't have all the different parts? And he's making that illusion to show these gifts are all benefiting the other things. Um, when the body works together as a whole, uh, each part doing its individual function then the whole body works as a whole better. It's for the common advantage for your hands to not go slapping yourself and for your eyes to be able to see and so on, right? Um, and so I think this this points out a couple of things. One, uh, it shows that no gift 
is better than another. No gift makes any person better or closer to God than another gift. Um, we, we need all of the gifts. They're all needed for the church. Um, and secondly, um, that when, when we do use our gifts for the common advantage, it displays the Trinitarian nature of God, uh, the, the unity and diversity, right? We all have different gifts, different things that God has given us to do, and we all use it together, and there's a unity that comes together in that diversity, just like the Trinitarian nature of God. And so um, one last thing on this. The gifts are not earned. It's not like you do something or you, you, you're, you reach a certain level of Christian where you can now get the gifts. It's not like you be good long enough and God says, okay, now I'll give you gifts. No, it says... One in the same spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. He has a greater purpose than that. He gives the gifts to the people he wills to use them. He gives the gifts to the people that he purposes to have those gifts. It's not for us to decide what gifts we get. It's for the spirit to decide. And so I think that's important under this point. It's for the common advantage of the church not for individual status or self-gratification. Um, and so um, one last point here on what are they for um, that I think is very important, a very important distinction to make is um, the distinction between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, right? What are the fruit of the Spirit? In Galatians, uh, there's Paul lists out all of them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Fruit is something that is produced naturally from the bush or the tree or whatever that produces it, right? It's not, you don't have to add anything onto it. It just produces that fruit. And that's what the fruit of the Spirit is meant to to be. It's something that as you live the Christian life, you're expected to produce these fruits. And we have a list of them, some things that we can look at and say, am I producing these fruits? Am I not producing these fruits? You know, where do I need work? And when you read that list, you should say, you should read it self-critically and say, I don't have this, I don't seem to have a whole lot of mercy, you know, or I don't seem to have a whole lot of peace. Uh, And that's something that you should desire and seek. And it's something that you should produce as you're transformed by the Spirit in your life. The gifts of the Spirit are not the same thing. The gifts of the Spirit aren't something that we all should expect to have all of them and experience all of them like the fruit. Should you should you start producing all of the fruit of the Spirit? Yes. Should you start having all the gifts of the Spirit? No. They're gifts. He gives them to whom he wills. And Paul says here, are all apostles? Are all do all speak in different tongues? Do all people have the power the miraculous power? Do all people heal? Do all people uh, prophesy? And it's rhetorical, but obviously the answer that he's trying to portray is no. Not everyone does all the gifts. Not everyone has all these. And so it's a very important distinction. The gifts are not fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is what is the Spirit is still most interested in producing in you. And the Spirit gives to whom he wills the gifts of the Spirit. And so, um, just 
Remember that. Fruit is expect, the fruit is expected of everyone, and all the fruit is expected of everyone. Not just some of them. They're not like, it's not a personality test. It's something that we should all be growing in, right? Um, the gifts are very distinct from that, and that's a very important thing for us to, to grasp. Um, so, uh, that brings me to the main point that comes out of these two purposes, which is the, the first main point, which is this. The gifts of the Spirit magnify Christ as Lord and build up the body of Christ. That's the purpose of the gifts. So, everything we, everything else we're going to talk about, everything else that you think, any other way, any other thing you're thinking about, about the gifts, what are they, how should they function, all should flow out of this. Um, and we'll talk about this later as this is this can be a litmus test using these two purposes that we see laid out. This can be a lit, litmus test for public manifestations of the Spirit, as he says, as Paul talks about here. So uh, we see what the purposes are. So what are they? Well, we have a few different lists in Scripture um, that people call lists of gifts of the Spirit. Um, we're going to focus here on what Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, there's also a list in Romans 12, 6 through 8, and there's a, a short, like, two list in uh, 1 Peter 4, 11. Um, the, these two lists um, are more kind of like functional gifts for serving the church. So you think, see things like mercy, serving, those sorts of things um, that are listed out there. Um, and these are these are kind of like functions that you perform in the church, like serving or showing mercy or hospitality or those sorts of things. Um, and so, it, and those ones, it's not so much that like, you know, some people serve and some people don't. It's just God, you know, obviously gifts, gives some people a special gift in serving that not everyone has. And so I think that's important. But we're not going to talk about these lists. An, another list is in Ephesians 4.11. Um, and this list is more um, a list of the various offices that people can be gifted with in the church. So he, he talks about um, apostles and elders and that sorts of thing in Ephesians 4.11. Um, and we're not going to talk about really focus on those either. Those are just various offices that people have been gifted to serve in in the church. Uh, so we're going to focus on 1 Corinthians 12, this list that we just read. Um, and these are kind of more what we think about generally when we think of gifts of the Spirit, right? Um, these kind of special abilities, that, that's what they are. They're things that are performed. Or they're things that are uh, done in action um, that are special and given by the Spirit, right? Um, so let's look through these. Um, I'm going to kind of go one by one. And I'm not going to go into detail on all of these. I'm going to talk a little bit um, about each one, a little bit more on some than others. Um, this is, we could do a whole sermon series on each of these and spend a whole sermon talking about each one. And so I want to encourage you, um, and, and I'll mention this later too, if, you're, if you want to learn more about this, then find a Bible study, find a book, um, if you need help finding one, you know, I'm happy to help you. But um, I'm not going to cover everything because I can't in, in this one sermon. So uh, bear with me. I'm going to try to hit these as, as quickly as I can so that we don't get stuck here for forever. Um, so the first two, um, I'll, I'll talk about them in, in 
uh, some of them in pairs. The first two are uh, words of wisdom and words of knowledge. Um, and what I want to say here uh, on these two gifts is, um, first of all, uh, the sense we have of gifts that the Spirit gives to people is more typically the sense that it talks about them is gifts that you have. And then when the opportunity arises to use that gift, then you use it. Um, It doesn't exclude something spontaneous that kind of happens to you and through you. Um, So it's not like I have this sudden gift of a word of wisdom that now I'm going to say. Um, It's more the sense of I have this gift where I can give words of wisdom. And when the situation arises, I use that gift that the Spirit has already given me. Does that make sense? It's, it's not so much this spontaneous thing that happens to you that you just kind of like are a vessel for, in a sense. It's a gift that the Spirit has given you. It's a special ability that you've been gifted with, just like you might have a special ability to sing that other people don't have. Uh, and when the opportunity arises for you to belt out some notes, you do it. Uh, and people are blessed by it, hopefully. And uh, and then, you know, it's not like all of a sudden you have this spontaneous, like, gift of your vocal cords doing something they don't usually do. It's a gift that you have and you hold and you use it when the opportunity arises. So I think that's important to point out with these because I think people think of it in that way sometimes. A word of wisdom that just kind of like, boom, all of a sudden it's like this spontaneous thing that happens to you. I do want to say... It doesn't exclude that. There's not really anything that says that can't happen. And God can do that if he wants to, right? He's God. He can, he can use you in that way. Um, but when we're talking about the gifts, I want to make sure we're talking about them in a general term of how it seems like they're most talked about in Scripture and how we see them operating in the history of the church. And so that's words of wisdom and words of knowledge. There's different debates on the distinction between those two things. Um, but generally... What you want to look, what you want to look for with this, get these gifts is, they're going to be things that build up the church rooted in the gospel of Jesus. They're going to be applying the gospel, applying scripture, especially to people's lives or the lives of the life of the church. Um, so that's, um, it, you know, there's some vagueness here of what exactly is meant by words of wisdom and words of knowledge, and that's okay. Um, we don't have to. Ha- we don't have to know specifically, you know, what exactly it means. But if you've given someone a word of wisdom by the gift of the Spirit, then you know you know that it happened, um, and that's your experience that you you did it. Um, and so we don't have to have it, Paul lay. Because I think if Paul did lay out exactly what to do, we would try to be forcing ourselves to follow these steps to give words of wisdom. Right? When that's not what they are. They're gifts of the Spirit. Um, the next two that I'll, that I'll kind of pair together is the gift of faith and the gifts of healing, healings. Um, <clears throat> these may or may not be tied together. Um, faith, the gift of faith is very vague. Um, it's probably the one that I'm least certain about what exactly it means. Um, but one thing we know it's not is it's not salvific faith, right? Everyone that is in Christ has salvific faith, right? A faith that saves you. So probably what this is, is um, it's a special gifting of, um, you know, a greater confidence in God and what he's doing um, for certain people. Um, So maybe a gift of faith 
is what causes someone like Aaron to step out with great faith and plant a new church. You know, maybe uh, to step out um, in great faith and, uh, and you know, give away uh, a lot of money that you typically wouldn't think would be wise to do, but it takes this great faith to step out and do that sort of thing, and God uses that um, in a special way. That's probably what this is talking about, and that's why it's probably related to healing, but maybe not <laughs> in, in every way, because it does take great faith to heal someone in that, in that way. It's not, it's not like this special magical kind of faith. It's just a great confidence, a great trust in God and him to move. Um, and so, and then the gift of healing, um, you know, it's, it, is what it, it is what it says it is. It's a gift to be able to heal someone. Um, and, you know, Paul uh, expects to see healings happen in the church and through the church and through the people of the church. Uh, James did too. In, in James 5.14, uh, I think I, I have that one ready for you. Um, and I don't have it in my notes, so I'm going to read it off the screen too. Is that one in there, James 5.14? Yes. Uh, is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. It, it seems like James is saying, is anyone sick? Well, lay your hands on him, and and hopefully, you know, you are given the gift of healing to heal this person. Um, why else would they be praying for them, you know, if not to heal him? And why would they be anointing his head with oil if not to try to heal this person with the gift of healing. And, um, you know, I think, I think oftentimes we're wary of that because we don't want to look foolish praying for healing, but God expects us to pray for people to be healed. Um, we, we've, we've seen it all throughout the history of the church. We've seen it all throughout the world today. Uh, testimonies of healings happening. God is still healing people. Um, and he ha- always has been. Um, I just think sometimes we're a little bit worried. We don't want to look foolish. We don't want to pray for someone to be healed and they not be healed because God didn't will for that person to be healed, right? Um, and then it turns back into a self thing, right? It's about the self and not for the common advantage, the building up of the body. So uh, moving on, uh, works of power or miracles. This is another one that's kind of hard to, to define. Um, obviously, he, he lists healing outside of this, so this is, these are things other than healing. Um, but I think there's some things in, in Acts that we can look to that might be examples of what the, the, this gifting might look like. So it might look like uh, the casting out of demons that we see in Acts 16. It might look like um, in Acts 13 where uh, uh, Elimus, the false prophet, is struck blind uh, by one of the apostles. You know, I I will say on this point, you know, I don't think you should be going around seeking to strike people blind if you think you have the gift of miraculous power. But um, I think it takes great discernment to know if you're supposed to strike someone blind for the sake of building up the body of Christ. But it did happen in Acts. Um, it could be raising, uh, like raising Tabitha from the dead in Acts 9. Um, I think that's different in category from healing raising someone from, from the dead isn't healing them. You're bringing them back from the dead. That's a totally different different thing. Um, 
It could be like Peter's escape from prison in Acts 9, which was a miraculous event. Um, he kind of is led out by an angel, um, and that could, that could be something that maybe this gift entails. Um, now, again, like I don't think we should be doing a whole lot of prison breaks, um, you know, but uh, let's use some discernment about how we, <laughs> how we use this. But obviously, you know, God wouldn't allow you to use it to do something wrong. It's a gift of the Spirit, right? So um, it works of power, miracles. Uh, the next one is prophecy. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this one uh, here and later, but um, Paul describes this um, later on as a gift that, that you should desire most, it seems like. Um, he says um, in uh, Chapter 14, verse 1, he says, desire, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. Um, he, he says, especially seek the gift of prophecy. Um, why is that? Um, well, uh, before we answer that, let's distinguish what prophecy in the New Testament is and is not. It's not like Old Testament prophecy. So in the Old Testament, you have prophets with a capital P, Right? The prophets are speaking on behalf of God. We have a lot of what they said right here as the word of God, the inspired, authoritative word of God. Um, Prophets in the Old Testament, when they spoke prophecy, it was thus says the Lord. And the Lord really actually told them to tell the people that. It's really the word of the Lord. In the New Testament, that's not what we're talking about when we talk about the gift of prophecy. It's not, thus says the Lord. It doesn't add anything to Scripture. You're not adding something on to Scripture. In fact, we are told um, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Obviously, Paul isn't saying, you know, well, test the Scripture, you know, to see if the Scripture is true. He's no, he's saying, test the prophecy against what God says is true, right? Um, so the, the gift of prophecy, uh, and I think, I think it's important to realize, he says, do not despise prophecies. Well, why does he say don't despise them? We're, you know, but I think we can, we can do that too because it's misused, right? It's misused and abused at times. And it can cause you to despise that gift because it's misused, right? Um, but Paul says, don't, don't despise them, but test them. Test them to see if they line up with Scripture and if they ring true with what God is telling you. Um, and I think that's important here. What, 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 is it, what is the gift of prophecy, right? What does it do when someone performs it? I, I think this is a very broad gift. Um, I think it can be something that is ordinary or extraordinary. It can be something as simple as what I'm saying in my sermon uh, has spoken to you in a specific way um, this morning uh, for you to be built up and become more Christ-like. Or it could be something more extraordinary like me knowing the de- me having a dream and knowing the details of a situation that you're in and a decision that you have to make that I should not know the details of because you haven't told anyone and God gives me that, and I'm able to speak into your life and say, you know, God gave me this. I wanted to talk to you, you know, about this situation that you you might be in. It, that that can happen. There's so many testimonies of things like that happening, right? Um, 
it can be planned and studied. Like, again, like me giving a sermon, I have planned to prophesy to you as a church what I, what God has impressed upon my heart out of out of his word that we need as a church to be built up in the body of Christ. I think that's part of a gift of prophecy, right? Being able to read scripture and be able to apply it to build up the church uh, in a specific way, and that's planned. But I think it can also be spontaneous. Like um, I've heard, uh, uh, I heard John Piper give an example where he was preaching and, um, you know, he was preaching what he had planned out of his manuscript, but he had this random example come into his mind and he kind of looked over this way and said, you know, you know, if you, he was preaching on small groups, if you uh, work in the 34th floor of this building, specific building in town, you know, feel, you know, get your coworkers together and start a small group. And he had this lady come up to him. It was just kind of this random thing that he said that he didn't plan to say and it wasn't in his notes. And this lady came up to him and she said, why did you say that? And he was like, well, what do you, what do you mean? She's like, I work on the 34th floor of that building and I've been praying about if I should start a small group with some of my coworkers. That that happens and that's spontaneous. It's not planned. That's why I say this gift of prophecy is very broad. I think it includes a lot of different things and the Spirit uses it in a lot of different ways. Um, one thing that we do know is what prophecy should be for because uh, he tells us, in verse uh, chapter 14, verse 3, he says, uh, sorry, it's, I don't have my little lights up here, so I'm having to like hold it up. Uh, he says, on the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. So if you have a word of prophecy prophesied to you, and it's not very consoling, then it might not be from God, right? We can test it against this. This is a way that we can test prophecy. Does it strengthen you? Does it build you up? Does it console you? Um, Because Paul tells us that's what the gift of prophecy is supposed to be for. Um, So we have that, uh, the gift of prophecy. Uh, The next one is discernment and distinguishing of spirits. This is another one that's kind of hard to define. Um, it could mean a variety, a variety of things. Uh, it could be true. Uh, it could be important for discerning between true and false spiritual claims. It could be important for distinguishing between when maybe some someone might have an evil spirit or something like that. Um, it could be it could be as simple as having a gift to be able to discern through the Spirit where God is leading our church and what direction we should take our church in. Um, all these things could be part of this gift. Um, it's not, Paul doesn't lay it out again in Scripture, um, but this is kind of what we can kind of uh, imply from the rest of Scripture and, and what we see here. Um, and then lastly, we, you have uh, the different kinds of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Um, this is, I think this in prophecy or what people think of most when you think of gifts of the Spirit, because I think prophecy and tongues are some of the ones that are most emphasized um, in churches, and they're uh, they're kind of they're kind of like easy to display and be, make big and that sort of thing, and that's why we tend to think about those. But uh, kinds of tongues and the interpretations of tongues. Uh, Paul actually camps out on this for a while. Um, 
uh, come chapter 14, uh, where he's talking about there. Obviously, there's a obviously in Corinth. If you read First Corinthians, they had all sorts of issues. <laughs> this church was this church was a mess. There was um, it, it was a mess. Just go read it. You're like, man, we, our church is doing all right, maybe compared to Corinth in a lot of ways. Uh, but um, obviously, there was a there was some kind of issue in Corinth with the way that people were using this gift, particular gift of the Spirit. S- something was way out of control because Paul spends a whole chapter camping out on, "Hey, y'all need to, y'all need to tone it down a little bit." Is kind of the sense that you get from Paul. Like y'all are getting a little little crazy here. Let's tone it down. You're you're making people. You're bringing in visitors, and they're they're jetting out of there because y'all are being freaky in there. Like, and so, <laughs> so you know, I think that's important because as we think about the gifts of tongues, I think we need to make sure to realize, especially in in, in chapter fourteen when you read it, um, Paul Paul talks about how like I speak in tongues more than any of you do, but I would rather speak and three words of understanding and prophecy than in a thousand words of tongues because of how much greater that other gift edifies and builds up the church. So I keep that in mind as we're talking about this. Um, what are tongues? I think the key word here is it says kinds of tongues, or you can translate it species. Uh, the translation we read said different kinds of tongues. So obviously there's different things happening, right? There's what are all of them? Paul doesn't give give us a list. You know, uh, there's with all of these gifts, there's a bit of mystery to it, right? Just like there's a bit of mystery to the Trinitarian nature of God. There's a bit of mystery of how exactly these work, uh, and that's okay. That's okay. Um, I don't I don't fully understand all of them, and I'm having to preach a message on them. So if you don't understand what all these mean, that's okay, because I don't either. Like, I don't know that anyone has a full grasp on exactly how exactly these work. But what we can see is that there's different kinds of tongues. There's different things happening. I think one kind or uh, species of tongues, uh, if whatever word you want to use, um, is what we saw at Pentecost, right? Peter, uh, they, they all receive the Holy Spirit. They all start talking in tongues. Peter's giving his sermon. Lo and behold, little to his knowledge, everyone that's there from all over speaking different languages can understand him in their own language. That's, that's a miraculous gift of the Spirit. 3,000 people are added to the church that, after that sermon. How amazing is that, right? Um, that's obviously one kind of tongue. Um, and I've heard stories of this from, from people I have no reason to, to think are lying about it, where they've they've felt led to speak in tongues, or maybe they're just, they don't even realize they're speaking in tongues. They're just telling, maybe telling the gospel to, to a person in another country on a mission trip or as a missionary or something. And turns out that person doesn't speak their same language, but they understand them in their own language. There's testimonies of this happening today um, around the world. Um, so that's one kind of tongues. What, what it seems like Paul's talking about here in the church of Corinth, though, doesn't seem to be that kind of tongues. Um, and the reason I say that is because of the way he talks about it. He says, um, 
He says, uh, for the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to people but to God, since no one understands him. Uh, he speaks mysteries in the Spirit. Uh, he said, um, he says, sorry, I'm having to flip the page. He says, if, so now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in other term, tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? In fact, if a bugle makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. It, it seems like the, the tongues he's talking about here is some sort of unintelligible speech. It just, there's not really any other way that I can, that I think is like, unless you're taking like logical leaps to understand what Paul is talking about here. Um, it seems like what's happening in Corinth is the speaking in tongues, that's an unintelligible speech that's gotten way out of control, right? That needs to be hauled back in because they're, they're not using their gift in a way that builds up the church well, right? And so um, it, I wanted to uh, point out a couple of things here. It seems not to be an intelligible language. And another thing here that definitely distinguishes it from what we saw at Pentecost with Peter is that it Paul says it's spoken to God, not to others. Peter was speaking to others. He wasn't giving a sermon to God. God already knew all of that, right? He was giving a sermon to others. And so this kind of tongues, this different kind of tongue, right, seems to be an unintelligible speech that's being spoken to God, not to others. It could be something like what we see in Romans 8.26. And uh, in Romans 8.26, can you put that up there, Hannah? Um, it says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. Now, that word inexpressible is translated in a bunch of different ways. Um, I don't know if this is a type of tongues or not, um, but it could be, right? It, it could be an expression of something that you don't have words for uh, in some way. Uh, that the Spirit speaks and helps you to, and He intercedes on your behalf through this. So, all that to say, there's diff- there's obviously different kinds of tongues, and not all of them are like what we saw at Pentecost, because Paul is speaking to, to something different here. What seems apparent, though, is that Paul sees this gift as something to be more cautious about, especially in a public setting. Um, when you read chapter 14, you just get naturally get that impression. Um, like I said, it, obviously something crazy was going on. Uh, and, it, and it seems like the impression that I personally get is that Paul seems to think that maybe this, this uh, gift isn't best expressed in public, in the church setting. Now, he doesn't forbid it. He's, he gives an orderly way to handle it. Um, and he, what he does do is he requires interpretations of tongues if you're using it in a public setting to edify the church and to, to speak out. Uh, he Probably what it seems like was going on was just all these people were having exclamations in these unintelligible language, and no one knew what was being said. 
and then it was freaking other people out that were coming to like join the fellowship that had, that weren't Christians. And so there was just nothing really edifying about it for evangelism or for sanctification. And so what Paul says is, okay, you know, I would rather you prophesy like in this manner in the church because it's intelligible and the church is being built up. But if you must speak in tongues, make it orderly. Don't have everyone doing it at the same time. And have if you're going to do it, it needs to be interpreted, right? You need to interpret it so that the church is built up by it. Um, and so all that to say about tongues, for one, Paul doesn't forbid it. He says, I do not forbid speaking in tongues. He says, I want you all to seek to speak in tongues. I wish that all of you would. He says that. And he says, I speak in tongues more than any of you. Uh, you know, obviously, 1 Corinthians 14 is not about don't speak in tongues. It's about making sure that when you do, it actually edifies the, the church. Um, and, you know, it, interpretations of tongues as a gift is obviously pretty self-explanatory. In this sense, it would be making intelligible what was before unintelligible, right? Um, being able to hear um, this unintelligible speech and by the gift of the Spirit, knowing what is being said and being able to then translate and interpret for everyone this message that God has given the church um, to build it up. Being uh, a Baptist from birth, this is all. This uh, this can all be a little bit like I don't know, right? Uh, I don't know how many of what background you all come from. Some of you might come from more Pentecostal backgrounds where this is very emphasized, uh, and that's that's fine. Some of you might come from way more conservative Baptist circles like me, uh, where this is like I didn't even know anything about tongues growing up because nobody ever talked about it, right? Nobody talked about it. I was like, what? You come across it in Scripture, and you're like, this is just weird. Maybe this this just isn't supposed to happen today. Um, And so you just kind of skip over it uh, and ignore it. Um, But Paul says, I wish all of you would have tongues. So obviously we shouldn't ignore it, you know. I'll just say, don't, don't be freaked out by any of these gifts. I think... I'm going to get to in a minute. I think there's some reasons that we are freaked out when we talk about these things, and I'll get that into that in a minute. But my application for this first main point is simply this. Do not neglect the gifts that God has given you. Don't be so freaked out by being not in control that you neglect this great gift that the Spirit has given you. Um. And maybe you don't even know what it is yet, and that's okay. We're going to talk about that. But don't neglect the fact that God may very well have given you some of these gifts. Don't ignore it. Don't push it aside because it's weird and a mystery. Um, God wants us to use these to magnify Jesus as Lord and to build up the body of Christ. And if you're neglecting them and ignoring them, you're missing out on a whole new way to magnify... Who doesn't want to, as a Christian, magnify Jesus as Lord and build up the body of Christ, right? And you're missing out on a whole other way. I'm preaching this to myself. I shy away from this stuff, and 
tend to ignore it. Um, and I'm telling myself, I need to stop because I'm missing out on something that God wants me to use to magnify Jesus and to build up his body. So that's our first application. God bestows these gifts to those he wills to use them. He doesn't give you gifts so that you can ignore it or sit on it. He intends for you to use the gifts that he gives you. And by using your gifts to bless others, right, to build up the body, you're blessed by blessing others, and you grow in Christ-likeness because Jesus came in Matthew twenty twenty-eight. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That's one of Jesus' main purposes for coming, not to be served, but to serve. And in using your gifts to magnify Jesus and to build up the body, you are, in turn, becoming more Christ-like through the work of the Spirit and his gifting to you. So, what about using the gifts? What, where do we go from here? We've, we've looked at some of the gifts. Obviously, there's way more detail we could go in into these, but we've looked briefly at them. So how do we use them? What do we, what do, we do? First, I want to go to first what I was talking about before, uh, as we're talking about using the gifts. What are reasons, what are some reasons that we might avoid talking about the gifts, thinking about them, praying for them, all the reasons we might avoid or ignore the gifts? I think there's, I think there's a few main reasons. The first one is naturalism. I, whether you believe it or not about yourself, you are today in modern America steeped in a naturalistic mindset. The supernatural is so out of most of our minds in our day-to-day life. But in the life of the early church, the supernatural was just a part of everyday life. Things were happening. People were being added to the church day to day to day. And I, I think... We're just so steeped in this naturalistic mindset. We don't think about the supernatural. We're not attuned to the supernatural things God is doing. And so we just don't even think about them. And we just, as a, as a natural result of that, just ignore them, right? Uh, first of all, this is not the case all over the world. This is a very culture-driven thing. This is a very Western, modern type of mindset that, you know, God willing, we can break out of, but it's what we're raised in, right? It's what we're raised, the way we're raised to think. Um, And it's what our culture all around us kind of steeps our minds in. Uh, But it's not the case all over the world. In fact, in the global south and in unreached areas of the world, the church is exploding. It, go look up the statistics. The church is exploding. It's amazing. And if you go look at what's happening in these, there are a lot of public manifestations of the Spirit. Healings, prophesying, tongues, all of these things we've been talking about. Pe- demons being cast out. All of these things are happening. And it's be- part of it is because people in these other parts of the world that aren't steeped in a modern Western mindset are not closed off to the supernatural, right? And if we want to move forward in this and being 
committed as a church to the gifts of the Spirit, we have got to break off those chains of that naturalistic mindset that our minds are steeped in. We have to teach ourselves to be more aware of and attuned to how God is supernaturally moving in our lives, the lives of our church, and in the world around us. We have to. Because this mindset that says God doesn't move in supernatural ways day to day is not what we see in Scripture. That's what our culture tells us. But we believe that lie. We live, we live like practically like atheists so many of our lives, so much of our lives. Not being attuned to what God is doing supernaturally, not being open to what God is super, doing supernaturally. We've got to break away from that. And again, I'm preaching this to myself, you know, first and foremost. Another reason we might be uh, avoiding or ignoring gifts is because of abuses or manipulations. And unfortunately, this is far too common in the church today. Like I was saying at the beginning when I was talking about the purposes, far too often people are using stuff like this in manipulative ways to build up their own status, the status of their brand, self-gratification. And guys, we can't let abuses keep us away from a gift that the Spirit wants to give us. We can't. So instead, let's do this. Instead of shying away from these gifts of the Spirit because they've been abused and used for manipulation so much, instead, let's do what Paul says and test these things. Let's ask the questions of when we see these or when we're maybe experiencing them for ourselves. Let's ask ourselves these questions aligned with the purposes of the gifts that Paul lays out for us. Ask yourself, does it magnify and glorify Jesus as Lord? If it's more about a person or if it's more about a church and not about magnifying Jesus as Lord, then it might not be of the Spirit. Does the person performing it have a life showing evidence of Christ-likeness? If not, then it might not be of the Spirit, right? It could be. God spoke through a donkey once. So, you know, the donkey wasn't obviously living like Jesus. It just God used him. And God, God spoke through uh, people that weren't of the people of Israel He can do that, obviously, but we're talking about the norm, not the exception, right? Does it magnify Jesus as Lord? Does the person have a life evidencing Christ-likeness? And lastly, is it for the common advantage of the church, or is it just to build up the individual? We have to be discerning in these things. We can't read into—I want to be careful here. I don't want us to go around judging who's really doing gifts of the Spirit and who's not. That's not our job. But as far as it goes for us individually, what we're going to participate in, um, this is vital. We have to ask these questions of these manifestations of the Spirit. We have to because we don't want to be a part of an abuse or a manipulation of something beautiful and wonderful that God has for his church. 
Um, instead, let's make sure we ask ourselves of the thing, those questions of the things that we see and the things that we personally are experiencing or doing uh, so that we can make sure that we're not a part of abusing these gifts of the Spirit. The last reason that I, that I could think of that we might be avoiding or ignoring gifts of the Spirit is guilt or shame. Maybe you feel lesser than that, you know, maybe God uses other people in this way, but not me, you know. And that's just not the case. You know, God, God didn't seek you out and, you know, die on the cross for your sins because you were good enough in some way. It was out of his grace. And he gives gifts out of that same grace. The, the Holy Spirit gives gifts out of grace in the same way that Jesus willingly went to the cross in grace. That the Father sent his Son willingly in grace. The Spirit willingly gives you gifts in grace. It has nothing to do with your performance or how good of a Christian you are. You don't have to reach some elite status of Christian before God can give you a gift and you use it for the edification of the church. That's a lie that Satan wants you to believe. Because then the church isn't being built up. by There's one more person not building up the church, and there's one more person not using the gifts of the Spirit to magnify Jesus as Lord. Satan wants you to believe that, but it's not true. Instead, we need to have faith and let the grace of, Jesus, destroy our self-doubt and our shame. We can't let guilt and shame hold us back from something God wants to use to transform us and to edify and build up the church. So my first, I mean, my second main point um, out of this is to, it's kind of twofold, discern what your gifting may be and where you stand on the use of the gifts. This is important. Uh, first, first off, on discerning what your gift may be, <clears throat> uh, a few things you can do: study the gifts further, look into them, see what might be something that you've experienced before. Um, read some book if you want more passages to study, or if you want a book, um, come to me and I'll or a Bible study. I'll I'll try to help you find something that that would be good for you. Um, I'll, I I want to read more into this myself, um, so. One, that's one thing. Study it further. Read scripture and pray about where God has gifted you. Ask God for gifts of the Spirit. Paul says to desire the gifts. When you, if you desire a gift, you're going to ask God for it, and that's okay. God may or may not give it to you. It's as He wills. But Paul tells us to desire them, and if we're desiring them, we should be praying to have them or to experience them. That, that's okay. You can ask God for good things. I don't know where we got it in our mind that we can't ask God for good things. Who, who's that, who that's a parent wouldn't want your kid to ask them for something good if they wanted it? Uh, you know, all the time, you know, not all the time, but, you know, frequently Ezekiel will get really upset. And I'm like, hey, buddy, what, what's the problem? And he tells me, you know, I wanted you to do this. And I'm like, but buddy... I didn't know. You didn't ask me. And obviously that's, that, that only goes so far because God does know, but he still wants, wants us to ask, right? 
Um, and so it, don't be afraid to ask God for good things. He's a father. And he's, you know, as we talked about a few weeks ago, he's all the good and perfect qualities of a father. And that includes giving you the good things that you want and need. And then uh, another very practical thing. Get input from those around you. Often, so often, people see things in us that we just don't see ourselves for whatever reason. Ask people around you, hey, where do you, th- where do you think I might have a gift of the Spirit? Where do you think God has gifted me? And they might see something in you. You might have been speaking words of wisdom to them for years, and you just didn't even realize that God had given you that, that gift and had been using it through you unbeknownst to you, you know. They might, what do you mean, what's your gift? You know, you've been giving me, like, words of wisdom about my life choices for years, you know. Ask others around you what they might see in you that you just don't see yourself. So those are some ways to maybe discern what your gifting may be. Where do you stand on the use of gifts? I think this is important, uh, and I, I want to give us kind of a tool to, to think about it uh, in a second. Where do you stand on the gifts? I think there's a spectrum, right, um, with some extremes on the end, uh, and, and we'll talk about these. But in, uh, in his J.P. Moreland has a book called The Kingdom Triangle, um, and basically the book talks about our modern age, how it relates to the age of the early church, and then three things that we see in happening in the early church that exploded Christianity that he thinks we need to recover today. And one of them is recovering the miraculous works of the Spirit. Um, That's one of the points on the triangle. And so in that chapter, he references, um, I think it's, um, Are the Gifts for Today, uh, a book with four views that's edited by Wayne Grudem. Um, And so four different views are presented here. And um, he he talks about what these four views in that book were. Uh, One of them uh, is the cessationist view. This view says that uh, the miraculous gifts, miraculous gifts are uh, not active today. Uh, they ceased with the apostles and the establishment of the church. That's the, the cessationist view. Um, the second one is an open but cautious view. This view is kind of miraculous gifts are possible today, but current teachings and practices um, are are unimpressive, and uh, not it's not these gifts aren't necessarily uh, important for uh, everyday evangelism and discipleship. So that's an open but cautious view. Then you have uh, what's what's called in this book the third wave view, which is that all Christians are baptized by the Holy Spirit at conversion. Uh, it, this view says that tongues is for today, but tongues isn't emphasized, um, and it's not seen as evidence of you being filled by the Spirit. Uh, and this view says that miraculous gifts are very important for the life of the church. And then you have uh, the fourth one, which is the Pentecostal or charismatic view. Now, there's a variety, there's a wide spectrum of views within this, uh, uh, but I'm just going to lump it all together, uh, and hopefully, you know, it's not offending anyone that believes differently within this spectrum. Um, But in general, the Pentecostal or charismatic view um, is that there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit that's received sometime after your conversion. So you're converted, there's a period of time, and then 
you can become baptized in the Holy Spirit. And at that point, that when you are, it's evidenced physically by the gift of tongues. Um, and so, um, and, and under that view, tongues is like that. If you haven't, if you don't speak in tongues, then it's kind of evidence that you have not been filled with, or ba- not filled with, but baptized in the Holy Spirit is the, the language that's generally used. Um, and in this view, there's just a greater emphasis um, on some of these miraculous gifts than in other views. Um, so there's just a, a lot. So the ones that we would see the most are the ones we've emphasized when we talked about them earlier, right? Prophecy and tongues. And these are just greatly emphasized um, in a Pentecostal or charismatic service, uh, whereas they might not be as emphasized in within the other views. Um, and so uh, wherever you are on the spectrum, it's okay. You know, these are not things that would divide us within the church in general. Um, I think I'm going to lay out some things that we would want to avoid personally as Redeemer City Church. But wherever you are, that's it's okay, right? I would not say that someone that's part of a Pentecostal church is necessarily like heretical because they differ on the doctrine of the gifts of the Spirit. Could be the case. It depends. You have to take each as it comes, right? But that's not, these aren't things that would fall outside necessarily Orthodox Christianity. So you don't want to say someone's not a Christian because they, they're on a different place of the, of the spectrum than you are. Um, but I do want to say there's, I think there's two extremes that we definitely, I personally would encourage to avoid. Uh, one is the cessationist view. I think I was defaulted to cessationism growing up but that's just because no one ever talked about the gifts of the Spirit. No one ever talked about it, so I just think thought, this, isn't, this doesn't really happen today, right? And so I defaulted it. When I started digging into Scripture, I realized, but where does it say that, right? Um, and so I want to avoid the cessationist view because I don't think there's very good or strong evidence scripturally at all for it, and I don't think there's good historical evidence for it in the, in the history of the church either. Um, the, the verse that's probably the most prominent verse ver- passage that's used is in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, and, and I'll read it for you. It's um, in verses 8 through 11 or 12, I think. Um, he says, love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. Uh, so th- this is a verses that someone that holds the cessationist view might point to. And how do, it doesn't say when. It doesn't say when it'll It doesn't say like, when the church is established and uh, the apostles pass away, then they will end. It says when the perfect comes. And I don't know about you, but the church doesn't seem very perfect yet. Um, <laughs> I think this is talking about in the ultimate future. Um, that's what makes mo- that's the most natural reading of this passage, right? When the perfect comes, then we won't really need these gifts anymore because we'll see, we'll be with Jesus. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see him face to face. I think that's what this is referencing. 
a lot of, a lot of these more miraculous gifts in the new heavens the earth will pass away because we'll be with God. There won't be any sickness to heal, right? Um, you know, we will be able to speak with God. We won't need groanings of the Spirit. Any, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be face-to-face with Him in His presence um, fully. And so I just, I don't see any good evidence for a cessationist view uh, in Scripture. Now, if you do, uh, that's, that's fine. You know, you, like, I don't look down on, I used to hold this view. I don't look down on you because of that. Um, and so I, I just want to make that clear. Uh, the other extreme that we want to view is, avoid, I think, is the more Pentecostal charismatic view. Um, I just, for one, I want us to really heed Paul's warning about emphasizing certain gifts. You know, it's very apparent when you read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 that, for one, no gifts should be overemphasized over the others. Um, now, if he does emphasize anything, he emphasizes prophecy, right? But, you know, but even still, he says, do all prophesy? You know, the answer's rhetorical no. And he says that you need all the parts of the body to function. And so there's not, you shouldn't be overemphasizing gifts. And I think that the Pentecostal and charismatic tradition tends to overemphasize some of the gifts. Um, and I don't think that's healthy um, and and best edifying for the church. And two, generally, um, these uh, traditions believe in that baptism of the sec- the Holy Spirit apart from conversion. Um, I really don't have time to dig into all of that. Um, if you if you want to talk about that at some point, I'd love to uh, talk about it with you. But when I read scripture, um, I just don't see. I, I, I see where they're coming from with that, but I think it has, I think it's a very weak uh, scriptural basis for that belief, um, especially 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 when you say that tongues is the evidence of it, and so that everyone has to speak in tongues to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. When obviously Paul says not everyone will, and so then it creates this kind of greater tier of Christian. Where once you you know you can be converted and be a Christian, but then when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit and you it's evidenced with tongues, then you're in this next tier of and I don't think people in that tradition would say that explicitly, but that's what happens, right? When that's the way you set it up, that's just what's naturally going to happen. Uh, I think the evidence is greater for um, baptism in the Holy Spirit. Uh, being something that is equivalent to or either either equivalent to or at least simultaneous with your conversion, right, um, when you are converted. Now, when we look at Acts and we see people who are who believe and they've been waiting on the Spirit or they didn't know about the Spirit, hands are laid, they receive the Spirit, they speak in tongues. This is, this is in Acts. And that's why I say I see where they're coming from. But we have to remember, Acts was a transitional period. There are a lot of people that believed before Jesus ascended and sent the Spirit. Um, the, the apostles and the, you know, his 12 disciples were, were some of those. They were certainly, by what we would say is a regenerate Christian, they were regenerate before Jesus ascended and before he sent the Spirit. 
they are waiting on it. And it's a trans, we have to remember it's a transitional period um, in, the, in the life of the church where you have people who are believers, regenerate believers, who have not yet received the Spirit. And I think after that transitional period, it would make sense that this would happen at the time of conversion. That's what makes sense to me. If you believe differently, again, that's okay. I think that's that's the stance that we would take as a as a church in general, as Redeemer City Church. Um, and you know, but you're not excluded from the fellowship if you have a different stance. Uh, um, and I I did want to point out in in First Corinthians twelve thirteen. Um, he says, for we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we are all given one spirit to drink. And he says, we all do this, but we don't all speak in tongues. And so if you have to be, if you have to evidence being baptized by the spirit by speaking in tongues, that just doesn't line up with what, what we're seeing here. He says, we're all baptized into one spirit, um, but not all speak in tongues. And so that logically, to me, would mean we're all baptized in the Spirit at conversion. Tongues is one gift among many, the nine specifically that we list, that he lists out. So um, I just want to clear, make sure all of that is clear. So this leaves us with options two and three, the open but cautious or third wave views. And I want us to think of these, all of these really as, these aren't just like black and white, like, groups. It's a continuum, right? It's kind of like a scale. You might be anywhere on this scale. And that's okay. Um, I think wherever you are, I think we need to have a balanced uh, view with two major things to remember. Number one, scripture is the ultimate authority and all things are tested against it. We've talked about that, right? Wherever you fall on here, I, I, we have to test it against scripture. We have to test it against the word of God, right? Uh, the authority of scripture. That's one. And then two, um, you know, on the other end of it, uh, you know, Paul tells us to desire the gifts and teaches that they are very important for the edification of the church. So we can't ignore them. We, we can't push them aside. We can't ignore them. We can't avoid them because Paul, Paul says that we all, we should desire them. They're important for the edification of the church. So, wherever you slide, remember those two things. And, you know, no matter where you stand on this issue, this is for this is for you to figure out. I can't figure it out for you. I can't make you believe in a certain way any more than you can make yourself believe in a certain way. Um, but I think something that we can all take away from this, no matter where we are on that scale, um, uh, is that we can all grow in our expectation of the Spirit moving uh, in our everyday lives. Uh, and while we do, be respectful of those that might be in a different place than you on these views. I think it's important for you to figure out where you are um, so that you can actually, if you don't know where you are, it's hard to then live out of that, right? If you're just kind of like, well, I don't know, I'll never know. Well, then you're, again, you're missing out on this, these gifts of the Spirit that God wants to use in you. And so I think it's important to figure out where you stand, discern what your gifting might be that God has given you, and then begin to step out and 
act out of that, right? Um, and so uh, our application for this is just to expect God to show up supernaturally in your everyday life. <clears throat> what are some ways we can do this? Um, here's a very simple way, a very simple practical way. Start every day with a prayer asking God to reveal himself and to use you. Simple. God, I want to see where you're moving, and I want you to use me in that. I want to be where you are. I want to be, do, I want to be active and aware of where you're moving so I can be a part of it. Start every day with a prayer like that. Um, uh, and, you know, that's, that's a way that you can start to get rid of that naturalism in your mind, right? Um, <clears throat> don't be afraid. Number two, don't be afraid to step out in faith with your gifts. If you feel like God is impressing on your heart to use a gift, uh, then step out in faith and, and do it. You might be embarrassed. That's okay. You might, you, might think, you might think God is telling you to do something and maybe he really wasn't, and that's okay. It, it's hard to discern this, but you've got to learn. You have to learn in one way or another, and you, you should be doing it within the body of believers so that we can keep each other accountable to this. If someone's going off crazy, like stepping out in faith, but really they're just doing crazy stuff, then hopefully us as our fellow believers in our church will hone that in just as Paul was trying to hone in the way gifts of tongues were being used in Corinth, right? This is all done within the context of a local church. That's what this series is all about, right? And so step out in faith. If God impresses on you to, to give someone a word of wisdom, uh, about something that maybe they've shared with you, then then do it. And, God, you know, you would be surprised at how often God uses that um, and, and will work, work through you. Step out in faith. Number three, don't force anything. For one, like I was saying, don't force yourself to believe, don't try to force yourself to believe a certain way about these that you don't, because you can't. We don't have access to our beliefs in that sort of way. You can't just say, I believe this now, and then you believe it. No, like, no, you can step out in faith, like I was saying. You can study more, and your beliefs might change over time. But we don't, we can't just reach in and be like, I believe this now. It's like, well, no, because beliefs follow with action. And, you know, if your action isn't following what you say you believe, then you don't really believe it, right? Um, and then two on that point is... Uh, is to not, don't work yourself up into doing something. Because chances are, it's going to be, what you end up doing is going to be inauthentic, and it could be harmful to yourself and to the, the, the people experiencing what you're, what you're doing. Um, don't work, it's not some magical thing that you need to work up in yourself. It's, it's a gift of the Spirit. It's something that He's gifted you with. And when it comes, it's not going to feel like you're forcing something out. It might feel scary that you have to force your way through the fear, but that's different than trying to work up some like magical feeling or spiritual feeling up inside yourself to try to do something out of that. Uh, that's not authentic, and that's not, that's not what the Spirit intends for you. Um, uh, <clears throat> number four, seek the testimonies of others. Ask others to share their experiences, <clears throat> uh, uh, people that are around you, Ask others of their experiences and read more on the subject of gifts. You know, that book by J.P. Moreland that I mentioned, 
um, The Kingdom Triangle. It's a great book um, through and through. It, just that one chapter specifically on this sort of stuff, but it's a really great book all the way through. Uh, and so I would, you know, I would recommend that book. Uh, and there's others that I could help you find too. Um, and then uh, lastly under this of, of ways to, to expect God to show up is, as you do, just be gentle, humble, and patient with both yourself and others as you grow in your gifts. Um, you know, it, it, you do grow in knowing how to use these gifts that the Spirit has given you just as you grow in other sorts of gifts like I was talking about earlier. You can grow in your vocal vocal gifts as a singer. As you learn and as you step out in faith and, and do things, you're going to grow in the gifts um, just in that same way. Uh, but as you do, be humble and be patient uh, and be gentle with both yourself and others as you and they grow uh, in the gifts. Remember, the Spirit is most interested in your fruit. He's interested in you becoming more like Jesus. Do not neglect the usual means of transformation, Scripture, prayer, the joining together with the church. A lot of the things that we've been talking about in this series, right? Don't neglect those things for an unhealthy pursuit of spiritual experience, supernatural or spiritual experiences. Uh, it's just, it's not healthy and it's not good for yourself or the church. This is just another part of what God, the, the way God uses us to transform our hearts and to build up the body. And it's, we should not elevate these things to something that they're not um, and create a, basically an idol out of them, an unhealthy obsession, right? Just a, um, just kind of a, a warning here towards the end. And as you do this, never forget that the gifts are meant to magnify Jesus as Lord and build up the body of Christ, to build up his church. I, I really believe if we as a church will accept the challenge to lay aside our tendencies toward naturalism and toward avoiding the gifts of the Spirit, then, and then in turn seek the supernatural moving of the Spirit in our everyday lives, uh, I think we will begin to see an incredible b- b- growth uh, as believers and amazing things happen. And why? Why do I think that? Because Jesus tells us they will. In John 14, starting in verse 12, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, <clears throat> The one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater things that works than these, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, so the Father will may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, that's the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Did you notice what Jesus said in verse 12? He said, you will do the works that I do, and you will do even greater works than these. That's why I believe if we stop letting our minds be steeped in naturalism, if we stop avoiding the gifts because of abuses or for guilt and shame and start stepping into these things that God 
gifts us for his glory and for the building up of the church, then we will do great things. Jesus says we will. In plain language, it's not mysterious. You don't have to wonder, well, what does he really mean? He means you're going to do greater works than the works he was doing. I mean, it's, it's simple, right? Jesus told his followers that they would do greater works through the work of the Spirit than even him. So let us have faith in this truth that Jesus gave us and allow the Spirit to work through us as a church. If we do, I think we'll see three things happen. Number one, we'll see the people in our church grow in maturity and Christlikeness. Why? Because the gifts are for the building up of the church. And the church is built up when we grow in maturity and Christlikeness. Number two, we will see the church grow in number as other people witness the work of the Spirit through us. That's what happened in the early church. That's what happened that's what's happened all throughout church history, and that's what will happen for us if we step into these gifts that God has given us. And lastly, and most importantly, and here's where I want to end, we will grow in love and adoration for the God. For, we will grow in love and adoration of God the Spirit, the giver of the gifts. As we begin to step out in faith, our faith and confidence and trust in him will grow as we see him use us and work through us, as we see Jesus' name magnified through his work through us, as we see our church grow in maturity, our faith will grow as we see the evidence of his work. And our love of him will increase as he transforms us through these things and displays who he is through us. You know, when you, when you when you use these gifts that God is giving you, you're blessing other people, but you're being transformed through the process too. You're growing in love. Paul said, he says, uh, desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. And then he goes into this speech about love. Love never ends. Uh, he's saying, as you magnify Jesus as Lord, as you are built up as the church, your love will grow, and that love doesn't end. These other things that I'm using to transform you, these gifts, these will, these will pass away when the perfect comes, but love doesn't end. What you're doing when you use the gifts, you're growing in your love of God, and you're growing in your love of others, and that is for eternity. You're building on eternity by stepping out in faith and using the gifts that God has given you. Our last main point, we must never lose sight of the giver of the gifts because that's what it's all about. And as we grow in love of the Spirit, we're building on a love that is connected to eternity. So let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. God, we just pray this morning that you would give us wisdom, discernment, insight in this very, uh, at times, scary or confusing subject. God, we, we might have a million different views in this room this morning on, 
on this subject, but God, I just pray that most of all, that you would give us discernment as we figure out where we stand and where you have gifted us. And as we do, we will magnify the name of Jesus Christ as Lord. And that through working through us, you would build up your church to do even greater things in your name to your glory that others would see our lives and be amazed at your work through us. Not because of who we are, not because of anything we've done, but because you have chosen us and you have chosen to use us. And God, we just praise you and humbly and in awe thank you for it. God, teach us to expect you to move in our everyday lives. Rid us of the naturalism that our minds are steeped in. Rid us of our fear because of abuse and manipulation. And rid us of our guilt and shame through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God, we pray that in all of this, you would receive all the glory and the honor and the power forever. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.